and welcome to Women Travel, a podcast about the places women have been and the things they did there. I'm your host, Morgan Esberg, and with me, as always, is the co-host, Annika Sieverts. Hello. Uh, today, we're making an amendment to the WomenX uh, podcast. We're kind of breaking Morgan's rules, um, courtesy of moi. You're welcome. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is so sultry. This is a sultry introduction. I just sultry. Drag queens are sultry. I might have been seeing like a drag queen in the car the other day. <laughs> just playing it up, hamming it up, you know, fun stuff like that. Uh, so I had the pleasure at Boise State to meet a linguistics professor who you guys will all meet shortly. Um, and during the weekends, what he does is that he is a drag queen. And uh, as much as people want to argue that drag queens aren't women, we have to admit that they do perform some sort of femininity whenever they're in drag. So uh, most of the time when we're talking with a drag queen, we use she, her, uh, hers's pronouns. But since Chris is not in drag, we will be using he, him's, his's. Uh, because it would be disrespectful to the work that he's doing with drag queens and linguistics and the queer community by uh, misgendering him when he's not even in drag. So that's a fascinating one. So basically, is he playing a character or is he personifying something that kind of comes within? Um, That's kind of something that I want to know more about today. And so maybe we should get Chris on the line. Yeah, let's What's do that. Okay. Bum 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 bum. Bring, Just kidding. <laughs> That's the Law and Order theme song. <laughs> we don't do that one. Yes. Hello. My first question. It's your first night performing. You're hiding behind a curtain. You've been practicing and preening in front of a mirror, but this, this is different. Before you go out, what are you the most nervous about? Um. So my first performance, I live sang. Um, and I did a church's song. So it was something that not everyone had really been familiar with before. Wow. Um, so I was most nervous about remembering my lyrics. Um, like, cause lip, lip syncing, you have it in the background, right? Like you can kind of hear it. So if you forget something, you can kind of catch on again. But I had to like remember every single word oh um, from the start. So I basically just kind of sat there like drinking water and ignoring everyone before my performance. <laughs> and like friends are coming up and like, good luck, do well. And I'm just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And like, everyone's like, is he okay? Is he mad at us? It's like, no, I'm just focusing and ignoring you right now. <laughs> but um, it worked. Like, I mean, I borrowed an outfit from my friend's 14-year-old daughter. And so I'm not that proud of my look that <laughs> night. <laughs> but um, but I sang everything the way I was supposed to. And so it worked out well in that. But yeah, the whole pre- performance thing was definitely stressful for remembering lyrics and we had sort of all decided there were like three of us that decided we were going to perform at this show like three hours before um like we were like going back and forth but there wasn't really a lot of time to know for sure that like everyone was saying yes um so (laughs) or know the lyrics 
yeah so it was definitely uh, i had been practicing the song for a few weeks because mm-hmm. okay. i wanted to do it but we were supposed to all do it together and it took until like we were getting ready before everyone finally agreed that yes we were going to oh, all boy. <laughs> yeah so it was it was a stressful first performance yeah. but once it was over i was like okay i did it yay <laughs> like i can say i'm a performer i'm incredibly now. impressed by like just singing like the vocal part of it is just stunning to me mm-hmm. like that is so nerve-wracking just even without having extra costume and dance maneuvers going on so um did you guys choreograph much <laughs> i am terrible at dancing so i tend not to move that much i also have some sort of health issues that prevent me from being as active as maybe some of the other more like fast moving performers um and when you're live singing the nice thing is that you don't usually have to do quite as much when you're moving because you're doing so much more to sing specifically. <laughs> um, so like I tried to move around, use the stage, but when it's your first time, you get sort of like, you think you're moving and doing stuff. And then you look at back afterwards and you're like, I was mostly just was standing just there. there. Wasn't I? Like, <laughs> it was like a karaoke, but you knew all the words. Yeah. Yeah. You did your best. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would love to talk about how I figured out you were a drag queen, if you're okay with that. I would actually like to know that, too. <laughs> okay, perfect. Okay, so, uh, Chris, you're a professor at Boise State, and you yes. teach linguistics and gender studies now? Yes. Yes. How long have you been a professor at Boise State? Um, it'll be five years after this semester, so I was a mid-year hire, so almost five years now. Awesome. Um, and how many students know that you do drag? Um, in my linguistics classes, not that many. Mm-hmm. Um, in the intro classes, I don't really, it doesn't really come up. Um, mm-hmm. In my gender studies classes, I do usually mention it because we talk about gender expression. We talk about things like drag and performativity. Um, so it comes up um, in the queer studies class I'm teaching right now. Um, I gave them their first assignment and they can do a project that could include something like drag. So I showed them a picture of one of my more political mm-hmm. performances. Um, oh and so I've outed myself sometimes in my queer studies and gender studies classes. Um, mm-hmm. And then I accidentally did it once in my sociolinguistics class because one of my students came in wearing really cute boots and I asked what size they were and that I wanted to borrow them. And then she ended up just giving them to me and I wore them like almost nonstop until the heel broke. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So to paint the picture, I was in your uh, intro to linguistics studies class. And one thing I immediately noticed about you, well, also you, like, introduce yourself as, like, having a husband, so I already knew you were part of my community. I was like, hell yeah. But you have very distinct tattoos. Very <laughs> distinct tattoos. Yes. So it was during, I believe, drag performance night in Boise are on Sundays? Um, yeah, during the competition season, yeah. Yes. So we went on a Sunday because I believe Monday was like a Labor Day or it was a holiday. So my friends took me to my first like real like gay bar and it was the drag night of Boise. And I'm getting tipsy watching and it was like the Star Wars night as well. So like there's just beautiful girls. Oh and, my like, God, that is the epitome of your Darth kind Maul. of night, Annika. <laughs> I know. Like the, uh, I get so flustered when I see drag queens all dressed up because I'm like, you're so beautiful. Ah. <laughs> Anyway, so I'm tipsy, I'm like drinking my drink, just having a good time, and I'm looking up there and I was like, I know those tattoos. <laughs> and I was like turning to my friends and I was like, 
I think that's my linguistic professor. What the fuck? Because I learned when I get tipsy, I swear a lot more. And I'm like, I should, I should go ask her. <laughs> like, I should go ask her. And they're like, no, what if it's not your professor? Then you're just going to make him feel weird. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know those tattoos. I'm going to do it. And so when I sobered up, I was like, shit, those were your tattoos. Those are your stars. And I saw you like in the classes like, <gasps> and so I didn't want to like <laughs> approach you be like, I saw you at the bar the other yeah. day because that's kind of creepy as a student. So I kind of like edged in with a with fan art. I was like, here you go. You're gorgeous. Here's a here's a little painting I did for you. <laughs> I know you and I love you and I accept you. <laughs> it was my first piece of fan art. I still have it. Um, <gasps> it's, it's in the spare room with the rest of the Jack stuff that I don't yes. fit in anymore. <laughs> so I that's how asked, I did it make you. you feel weird like as a professor, <laughs> you know, like, do you feel like you're living a double life? It sounds like you're kind of opening that door more, but I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, I mean, not really, because my research is in the drag community also right now. Oh, cool. um, so they're already kind of connected. Um, like if, and I have seen students from my intro class like at the bars. I mean, I used to work at Balcony before the pandemic, and I'd be there for most shows. And if I wasn't performing, I was working lights or working backstage. And so like I would run into students occasionally just anyway. And I'm like, hi, how's it going? Like, I don't mind running into a student at my bar. Like, I don't go to the bars on Broadway because I don't want to, like, <laughs> go into student-designed spaces. Oh, yeah. Because then I feel like that's sort of an odd thing. But, I'm like, mm -hmm. well, if you're coming downtown, like, this is where I live and this is my bar. So, like, yeah, say hi. I don't care. Um, so if they find out, <laughs> I don't really see any problem with it. Like, I don't mind. But I try not to... Like if it's not relevant in class, then I don't feel like I need to just like straight up mention it off the top. Um, but like sometimes I feel like it might come across just when I talk about the kind of research I do or when we're talking about it and I like am saying drag this, drag that and we and sort of like, um, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, like it's not really that strange and I don't mind if there's crossover especially since, um, you know, I like the idea of having queer representation in class, even if we're not specifically talking about queer issues. So it's um, like, I've had students come up. I used to, during that time, I kept my nails painted most of the time. And I've had students come up and be like, thank you for the representation. Like, it, it feels really cool to see that, like, there's a professor that, you know, I can look up to that's doing things like painting their nails and like, doesn't care. Um, and so it's, it's kind of nice to be able to have that kind of representation because I know that um, being, you know, a white cis male that happens to be gay, as I've been told, um, like gives me some extra privileges that other professors might not have. So I can kind of try to use that to my advantage sometimes and say, well, well, I'm going to wear, I'm going to paint my nails or I'm going to like talk about these ideas that maybe some other professors don't feel as comfortable doing or, you know, sharing back and forth between their personal lives because there is still a lot of sexism and racism. Well, that was in kind of what I was ex really excited to ask is, um, mm -hmm. you know, there feels like almost a rebelliousness to doing drag and to um, keeping that community as loud and proud as it is. And I was wondering, like, does it feel like an act of rebellion, especially in the face of like uh, toxic masculinity that's around Idaho or, or that kind of cultural thing? Um, I think for a lot of people, absolutely. And I think that the history of it is definitely that sort of like, we can't be part of the main circle, so we're gonna create our own circles and we're gonna emulate. It's gonna be the most by, fantastic circle mm -hmm. of all time. 
Yeah, like we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we can't be executives in real life, so we're gonna have balls and and talk about executive realists and like show what it looks like in our own circles in our own communities. Yes. Um, and so there is a lot of rebellion, I think, just inherently in doing drag. Um, I like to do numbers that have some sort of like political or social message. Um, like I've done women's rights numbers for Planned Parenthood fundraisers. Um, the drawing that Annika made for me was from a night that I dressed as a gymnast and talked about the gymnastic scandal. Oh, yeah. And so I had like the whole, like I had pictures and like screenshots of the news reports and stuff on the screen behind me as I was performing um, fight song. Um, and so it was, it's fun to kind of make people think. Um, I tend to not get as many tips during those weeks. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if it's because people are like, we just want to be entertained, we don't want to think, or if because they're thinking, they're just not thinking yeah. about tipping, they're thinking about well, the message, yeah. which is totally fine. I almost feel dirty, like... <laughs> we just want to see yeah, pretty like, I don't want to encourage this bad behavior, but I do appreciate you bringing out the message. So, like, I think maybe people get confused about, like, will this mean I'm encouraged? Because I don't want to encourage it, but <laughs> that's kind of what, what I would go into. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I would love... Oh, sorry. I should... Hold on. <laughs> sorry, I forget all the time. Like, I'll, like, eat ice and like oh shit, okay okay i'm gonna ask this question about <laughs> yours um you had brought up the term executives yes. does that mean anything in the drag community um no it was sort of an example from like ball culture um mm -hmm. in like new york so like have you seen pose or like shows like that yes. they kind of talk about that or rupaul uses this as a category in the balls a lot because mm -hmm. it was so common in ballroom culture where they couldn't be executives in real life so one of the categories they would often perform in was called executive realness where you would dress up like an executive um and the most passing of the people huh. was the ones that got the highest scores so like the goal was to be like how can you look like one of those like rich white men or rich white women mm -hmm. that's walking down Fifth Avenue um, in the most. I'm definitely thinking of like way. a Dave Chappelle sketch where he's got like the white face on and he's doing a full uh, business suit. <laughs> that immediately is what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so funny to like have, uh, like I know what ball culture is and like I did a presentation on ball culture and then having Morgan's perspective like not really knowing what ball culture is it's just really fascinating cool flex bro so you wanted question... to find that term for me <laughs> <laughs> no look it up <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was gonna say uh, that actually works really well with my next Morgan <laughs> <laughs> works really well with my next question about the whole uh, gala met ball and their misuse of camp. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I mean, I'm not quite as pop culture savvy as I probably could be. Um, sometimes my professorness gets the best of me, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I do think that there were some people that showed up that were very campy. I mean, I think Lady Gaga is an epitome of, mm -hmm. of camp like aesthetics, right? Like, you know, going above and beyond the sort of absurd that it gets roped in with that um mm -hmm. but then other people were just kind of doing things for shock value and it's i think a little yeah. bit different to think about camp especially from sort of a queer community and an underground community where you're using it for to sort of turn norms on their heads as opposed to just like being flamboyant um and so i don't remember all of the outfits from that 
particular one, but um, I remember there being a few that was like, okay, like that's very clearly camp. But then there were a lot of critiques that were like, okay, well, like, what are you doing? You're just being weird or like you're just trying to find like the weirdest ugliest combination of things because you think that that's what's what camp is going to be um so there was definitely a mix of responses there where you could tell the people that knew the history of it and then the people that just were like oh well tell me what to do or like ask a designer to like give me something campy (laughs) yeah it was it was really interesting because i know a lot of people liked kim kardashian's outfit i for one did not think that was camp but like janelle's outfit with like the winking eyeball was beautiful um can you give us a little history of what like camp is um, I'm probably not the best person for that. Um, <laughs> um, I don't think I could actually tell you where it came from originally. Like a lot of the stuff that we think of as sort of modern drag comes out of things from um, the Stonewall era and just after that and from the like 80s ballroom cultures in like New York and Detroit and Los Angeles um, where the like if if you're either going for realness and you're trying to like be as passing as possible or you might be going for something that's like completely absurd so like the club kid kind of scene was very campy um and so like new york in the 90s um like michael alec and all that kind of stuff was like super campy and the like weirder you could go the more ostentatious you could go the like you you don't want to wear something that you could find in public because that's too boring that's not that's not what they're going for they're going for something that's never been seen so the word camp sorry i did research on this and this is my history nerd coming out (laughs) so the word camp comes from the 18th century french from france because we all know that france is just hella gay all the time (laughs) and a drag queen uh got arrested and was in jail and was like had all their under things like taken away and the police are like what the heck is this like what are all these like clothes that are like kind of weird but make you feminine and at the end like the drag queen had to like file like a report to get her clothes back and she was like i want my camp clothes back and they're like what the fuck is this? Okay. <laughs> so that's where the the term camp comes from, yeah. from an 18th century drag queen. So that's that's always that's fun to know where languages and yeah. words come from. It's something I probably should know, but I had never really thought about it. I haven't really focused specifically on campiness in any of my research yet. So. Yeah. There, there's so many broad genres of, of drag. You can be an expert in one and know nothing. So about that's the actually other. what I want to expand on. So um, for those of you listening, the Met Gala that was just referred to was in 2019. Um, if you want to look that up. Um, and then I wanted to say, like, there are I had never heard of the executive uh, realism. So I was wondering, what are a few of those categories? And like, what's the one that you prefer to do? Um, I mean, I don't do much in ballroom culture myself. Um, I don't really feel like it's something that I have the right to do unless I'm invited. Um, And there's not really much of a ballroom scene here, but it comes from mostly uh, BIPOC um, queer people, um, lots of trans people. Um, And so it was the more marginalized people that had to go underground and create their own sort of families and sisterhoods. And so when we think of drag families and mothers and daughters, like that's where a lot of that sort of comes from is because they were creating a chosen family. Um, And the, so the ballroom culture, I've never really been as directly a part of. um, And I don't feel like that would be an identity that I would really feel comfortable taking on unless someone had sort of brought me into the culture. 
but the categories could literally be anything you wanted them to be. Um, it was just um, how can you best represent whatever term or whatever concept or whatever category we give you. Um, and so the executive one was a common one because they didn't have access to being executives, right? Mm. But you know, you could do something um, like even, I hate using RuPaul as an example because I think that there's a lot of problematic aspects from that show itself, but in the balls, there is an emulation of that. And so like, sometimes it'll be intentionally playful where they'll have something like winter wear and you're actually wearing a bathing suit or like summer wear and you're wearing winter coats, like, and they sort of like throw <laughs> things on their head. Um, but a lot of times, I mean, it could be, um, they have things like, cause in the ballroom culture also, it wasn't just female impersonation. It was all sorts of gender expressions. There were butch queens, there were femme queens, there were, um, you know, kings, there were non-binary and trans people. Um, and so there were categories where it would be things like, you know, masculine aspects um, and sort of macho-ness that would be the category that you're supposed to emulate. Um, and so it could be someone that was a trans or cis male that was being represented from their house or their family in that case, um, because that's what the realness was for that particular category. So it just kind of depended on what they wanted to do. I, I don't know how they decided on them. Um, usually whoever was leading the balls would say the category is this, um, but the categories themselves could be pretty much anything they wanted them to be. Um, so so like the event that I saw Chris in, um, it was a, a Star Wars event. So everyone had to dress up like a Star Wars character. Okay. but. There yeah. can be like categories like farm girl realness and you have to like <laughs> interpret it like that. You can be like a corn shuck or like whatever you want to be. Yeah, Stuff we had like, like, so during, so we have a competition that's usually every like January through March is usually when they have it at Balcony. Um, and I was in season two, there's been four of them so far. Um, and so my season we had, there was usually a performance aspect and then a sort of runway aspect and the runway aspect had some sort of theme. And we had things like white trash as like a theme because we had to do 2000s country for our performance song. We had the Star Wars one that went along with Snatch Game and that was the night I went home because Taylor Swift is not as funny as everyone else that was on that stage. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, when when one of the drag queens did Trixie Mattel, I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, they're going to use those one-liners that Trixie is known for. So I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but this is the first time that I've broken my rule of uh, having only women uh, guests to interview. Um, there's a number of people who, you know, kind of declare gender as a construct and that there's no real difference between men and women. And as someone who's walked in a woman's heels, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on this nuanced idea. Do you strongly identify only as a man or is there something to the nuanced variations on gender identity? Um, so in my daily life, I am a cis male. Um, I've never really felt a need to sort of, in my everyday life, stray too far from that like i mean painted nails or like maybe um like some more androgynous clothing occasionally um is fine like i'm not like restricted by my masculinity into only doing certain things um but um that was one reason why i like being in drag so much is that it does give me a chance to explore things so differently and so i did things that were extremely feminine, um, like to the point that people wouldn't recognize me unless they heard my voice. Um, and like, I'd walk through the bar and I'd have people like literally like turn and look at each other and be like, is that a woman? 
I think that's a woman and like actually get confused. And and that was kind of one of the like fun goals that I had was because <laughs> I was like, well, like I'm so I'm more normatively masculine in my everyday life. So this is actually a really fun way to, you know, fuck with gender, do things, confuse people. Um, like I used to host karaoke and drag every week at balcony and I almost every week had at least one straight guy that was coming up to hit on me until he figured out that I was a guy. Um, <laughs> and it would just be really funny or they'd see my wedding ring and then they'd be like, oh shit, you're married? And it's like, yeah, like, oh, well, like I, I should go. It's like, oh, I thought we were just chatting. Um, so, <laughs> so like for me, it was fun to sort of confuse people in that way. And then for a lot of other performers, what I found is that um, drag can often be a way for them to start exploring nuances of gender because they feel like maybe they don't have a cisgender identity. Um, but there's not necessarily a easy way to just kind of do that every day from scratch. So drag can be a really good way to sort of get into that. Um, and so there've been a lot of queens that have come out after starting drag as non-binary or as trans and then continue performing in drag um, because they enjoy the art or they enjoy the performance aspect of it, um, but then are also using that to explore their own gender understandings and how all of those things sort of get flipped on their head and get toyed with. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see because I think that for a long time, especially locally, drag was really only seen as female impersonation. Mm -hmm. And like you could you could do some various gender ideas within that, but it was still pretty like femme and like um, the expectation was that you would be looked at as female. Um, but the last couple of years, there's been a really big proliferation of more variety. We have a drag king troupe now that's um, been starting to happen um, that I helped get off the ground last year. Um, we have some alt drag and some non-binary drag. My uh, spouse is um, has recently come out as non-binary um, and they like to do a lot of very androgynous and sort of gender fuck kind of performances. Um, if you've ever heard of Axel Andrews, um, who is from Orlando, um, Roxy Andrews, the drag son, um, they also do a lot of gender fuck kind of performances mm. where it's like, like bearded, but not necessarily like bearded with a completely femme face or like, you know, maybe like short hair or a mohawk and then like different kinds of like mix of uh, different kinds of clothing that could be seen as masculine or seen as feminine or just kind of putting together what you want to do without necessarily having these boundaries. Um, and so there's been a lot more of that and it was met with a lot of feed, like a lot of negative feedback at first, but I think it's becoming a lot more accepted. We see it a lot more. Um, we also have people that are cis female that perform in drag um, as feminine, like as female personas. And that was something that, um, at first was like, oh no, that's not really drag. I mean, even RuPaul doesn't consider it drag, but Michelle Visage is essentially a drag queen and does that same kind of thing. Um, so it's not like this isn't something that exists, um, but um, I've actually I talked to some of the female drag queens and talked about some of the struggles and challenges they've had and how they feel like they have to actually work harder because some people are like, well, if you're not tucking, if you don't have to put on boobs because you already have them, then that's not really drag. And it's like, well, let me tell you about like what 
I actually have to go through in order to do this. <laughs> like, I also still like wear pads. I also still like wear breast augmentations. I also still do all of these things. It still takes like, hours it, to do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I'm still doing my makeup in a completely exaggerated <laughs> fashion. Um, one of the performers that we have in town, when I interviewed her, um, she was like, well, shit, I'll tape my labia shut if that's what it takes. Like, if you really think that, that if you really think that what it takes to do drag is like taping your genitals down, like I'll do yeah. it. Like, <laughs> give me a so tube suck I'll hide it down there it's fine yeah <laughs> right yeah um so like there's definitely been like back and forth and like negative reactions both locally and then just sort of in a broad sort of pop culture sense but there's also been over the last few years a big proliferation of ways to express yourself that's so much different than what people think of drag as being or what RuPaul's Drag Race features, which tends to be very anti-trans and tends to be very one-sided. Like you have to be a male that's showing up as a female on stage. Like they've bred performers on stage for being too masculine or doing boy drag um, when, because it's a female impersonation show. It's like, well, but this is still drag. Like it's still a gendered performance that's exaggerated in very specific ways. Like, um, and so the understandings of it, I think are broadening over time um, and will probably continue to. And I like that um, because if your idea of doing this is that you're fucking with gender because we're not seen as privileged in a gendered and sexual system that values cisnormativity and heteronormativity, then like, why not let other people that even if they have a cis identity still want to fuck with this in some way um, and bring these different kinds of experiences up? It's awesome. I love it. I love uh, I love getting rid of binary genders and studying like queer spaces like that and just really redefining what it means to be a human being in this wide world. Um, so with this like discovery and your like your your work in the community, like supporting drag kings and like starting non-binary uh, shows and stuff like that, like did that inspire you to do your research with the uh, ethnographics? I started the research before some of this sort of came out. Um, I was already sort of working on starting the project and I had like gotten signatures and I had plans for interviewing people and like I was like well I'm part of the community so I'm just part of I can do this sort of ethnographic work because I'm already in the community and I can take notes and I can just keep track of you know all these different things when I, I started producing a few shows for a little while and I always wanted them to have some sort of specific purpose so I did a few political ones during the midterm election um, to get people to vote and then to have an election night one um, and then I did a couple called Femme Fatale that was only femme and non-binary um, performers so it was including the cis female drag performers that were performing as females um, and non-binary femme performers. And it was really cool and it was really fun. Um, a really well-known uh, female drag queen from Orlando came out for one of them. Um, and we had a really great time sort of doing something like that because it hadn't really been seen very frequently as like, this is who we're booking for this show. Like there are not supposed to be cis people. Mm -hmm. The second one, I had a few people drop out, so I did have to end up performing a number, but my goal was to just host and not perform, to give the space to these other performers. Um, and then the Drag King group, we had a Drag King from Twin um, who has performed, had performed in Boise for a while. Um, they're up here in Boise now. Um, and last spring, I helped sort of get off the ground there, uh, Lesbian Kings group. Um, 
to try to bring more kings in. And now we have a couple dozen queens or kings in town. Um, so there were three of them that perf- that competed in this last year of the competition. Um, and there's they're doing their own sort of digital things right now that are being posted and shared. And so it's actually really nice to see the expansion of that and how um, those kinds of things are finally taking off because they weren't Part of it was that there just really wasn't a space for them. So it was more creating the space for it to thrive. Um, Because if you're not, if you don't have a space and you're new and you don't have that kind of support to start with, you're not going to get bookings because you need to practice first before they want to put you on stage. They want to know that you're going to be good enough to be booked into a show. But if you sort of create your own space and create your own mentoring system, then you can make that happen. It's that classic, you have to have experience, but you don't know where to get experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I um, <laughs> have been a huge fan of drag for um, many years, and it wasn't until last year um, when I was living in Montana when I saw a, a drag king and it was like kind of towards the end it was just like two women um, who did this like duet that was really really well choreographed um, and they were both dressed as men and that pretty much like was so radical to me <laughs> like because um, like those boundaries were so firm in my head of like so it's only men who can dress up like women those are the only options and yeah, and so I think it's really cool that these are expanding. Do you think that there's like a new, like the language itself is expanding as well? Um, yeah, to some extent. Um, so the, I mean, the language that we find in drag is stuff that's making it into mainstream culture now. And it's things like, you know, tea and shade that like everyone says now that has been around for decades yeah. in like especially queer of color communities that are now being appropriated by cis white people um, and they don't necessarily realize the history of it. So a lot of the language that seems new is actually not even new at all. Um, But then even just the way that we're talking about some of these other expressions of drag, you know, like what do you call a non-binary performer? Um, that doesn't want to be a king or a queen. Um, and so there's been talk, I don't know that we have a like answer that's been accepted, but there's been talk about it, um, you know, like, do you just call them royalty or um, do you call them like some sort of other like term? And they, they, there's been some playful attempts to kind of, you know, use um, like drag person or drag being or drag beast. Drag beast. Um, like, <laughs> drag beast. <laughs> um, you know, there's different things like that. Um, or the female drag queens, um, even just a few years ago when I was first doing this research, they were typically called bio queens um, to represent that they were cis and they were performing the same gender as what they identified as. They're also um, techno, then- as in they like glow in certain spots, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Bioluminescent queens. C- cybernetic, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but that was very quickly sort of taken down especially by that group of performers by saying well like this is also very essentialist this also is reducing me to my genitals when that's not what I'm doing and that's why I'm being discriminated against in the community in the first place is because I don't have a penis to tuck so like why are you telling me that like I have to be this different class I'm also just a drag queen Um, and so that's something that's even just changed in the last couple years Um, I remember the first time I saw a female drag queen perform this was when they were called faux queens which already yeah right it already has that sort of air of like you're not really a queen because you're like you're you're tricking us into being a drag queen um yeah and so the language even for something like that has changed a lot over time um and i think we'll continue to see um some new terms 
come about as there is more variety. So sometimes you think you see um, them use something like a femme queen for someone who's non-binary, but performing as a more femme character. Um, and so there's some attempts to try to get into that, but um, I'll be interested to see how that kind of pans out over time also, because I don't think there's answers to a lot of all of the changes that are happening yet. And so that's the fun part of language is seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Um, so maybe we'll end up with some fun new terms soon and maybe they'll just keep fighting against the terms that are being forced on them and just say, no, the, the girls always that. want to play with the boys, <laughs> but the boys never want the girls to play with them. <laughs> so lame. Um, I realized, you know, kind of wrapping up today, this is the uh, anniversary of this podcast. So this will be a full year. Yeah. Of uh, interviewing people. Uh, we still don't have a tagline at the end. So I was just wondering, Chris, what's some good takeaway, some wisdom, either for like the current situation or from queer culture that has kind of gotten you through some things? I mean, right now with everything that's going on, I think that it's important to be listening to our BIPOC queers and um, centering their experiences because mm. I've been centered so long and I really shouldn't be. <laughs> um, so um, something that comes up a lot that I like is that none of us are liberated until all of us are liberated. So even with attention to things like Black Lives Matter, like we have to think about Black trans lives. We have to think about all of the different intersections that are um, being affected by things because when one group gains rights, oftentimes other groups get further marginalized as a result of that. Um, so focusing on the sort of last person kind of idea that, um, Yes, we may be queer and we may be missing out on some rights and we have the chance to potentially be losing more of them now after the news from this week. Um, but even with that, some of us have more privileges than others and we need to be aware that anyone that we're leaving behind by trying to gain some sense of normativity or some sense of normalness is a travesty that needs to be fixed and that we need to address all of the people in our community and the ones that are the least likely to have those kinds of privileges. Hell yeah. No man left behind. Mm -hmm. No, no, no beast left behind. <laughs> oh, I love that. No beast left behind. We should take, we'll, we're taking that tagline. <laughs> Copyrighted. Ours now. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Thank you for your time, Chris. Yeah, of course. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. Awesome. We did it. One year. Thanks for listening. The song is by King and Queen of the Losers by my friend Kiwi Palmer. It's available on all streaming services, and if you want to support them, you can check them out on Bandcamp. Again, that's King and Queen of the Losers. We've got some bonus content for you on Patreon, including an interview about Nepal, as well as our bonus anniversary episode so go and check that out and uh hey if you want to support us that'd be super rad we're working on a goal to get enamel pins so if you support us then uh eventually you'll get a pin and they're very very rad thank you again to chris vanderstow for being on the episode you can find him on instagram at Haley street drag or at 
Aiden Antares. Next week, we're going to be interviewing about Russian myths and, and some spooky things. And I'm really not sure where the conversation is going to go, but we're going to bring Katya back on the show and uh, just have some have a good time talking about costumes throughout history. Hope you're here for it and leave no drag beast behind. One plus one plus one is four. When you get out, would you please lock the door? We're totally lost. I've seen this place before. Call a doctor if it lasts four hours or more. Take a selfie with the western sky. Hand me the visine. My eyes are feeling dry. Next time, why don't we just fly? Be careful, data roaming charges may apply. 